Alive? Everybody quiet? Welcome to Search Talk Live with search engine optimization and marketing experts, Robert O'Haver and Matt Weber. Powered by the Robert Palmer family of companies. All right, welcome back to another episode of Search Talk Live. I am your host, Robert O'Haver, and with me is Matt Weber of Roar Internet Marketing. Matt, how's it going? Really great, Robert. How you doing? Good, good. How's uh, how's uh, business? Business is doing fantastic. Very fortunate about that. Now, a lot of people don't know by looking at you, but I think you celebrated a birthday recently, right? Oh, man, you waited to do that on the air, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> yes, I did. It was... Uh, the second. Well, happy birthday. And what did you do? What did you do? Shark fishing, uh, parasailing, cliff diving? No, I went to dinner. Uh, dinner, well, I, mean, yeah. I watched a movie. Movie, right. And that was about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Life in the fast lane. Yeah, every day I get older. I just There's one day a year I celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> so, but so, you look good. And I'm glad you had a good birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, so today, guys, we are switching gears. We usually, we t- we've been doing a lot of SEO talk um and today i am so excited to guest to, to have the guest we have on today because uh, we I, i'd see every episode about 80 percent of the episodes someone mentions her name and and uh i'm really super excited to have her on today our guest is lisa buyer she's a ceo ceo and founder of buyer group and she's also the author of social pr secrets as well as one we're going to talk about during the show as well. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be on and flattered that other guests have mentioned my name. I heard a couple and I get so excited when I hear I'm like, wait, that's me. You yeah. know, it's also really cool that you actually listen to the show as well. Yeah, I think that's of awesome. course. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're a rarity in another way. You're in the same time zone as we are. Yes. I'm on the same time zone. I'm on the same highway. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you the last time we talked to somebody that was even in the same time zone. So how cool that you're actually in the same metro area that we are. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Do we think it's cool or not? (laughs) (laughs) Well, today, no, 93 degrees, major humidity, not very cool. But glad to have you on the show and really excited about some of the advice that you're going to give our listeners. Yeah, so Lisa, let's get um, before. What I'd like uh, you to do is tell everybody that who who doesn't know about you. It's a small group. Yeah, it's a very small group. But I uh, would like you to tell us about yourself, a little bit about your background, and and um, maybe about the books, uh, the book you have coming out soon. Yeah, definitely. So my backstory is this: I um, came from come from a traditional public relations background, and I was um, an early adapter of bringing in digital to public relations, which sounds so antiquated now, but um, it was during the whole dot-com era, and we started, my agency was a corporate communications um, agency with a twist of of branding and visuals, and we started to get, I was located in South Florida, which happened to be a a little bit of a hotbed for tech companies and especially dot-com companies, so we um, started getting a lot of those types of clients, and you know, things in the PR world up until that point were very um, slow moving and campaigns, you know, took six months a year and press releases took like six weeks to write and tons of approval processes. We went from that to having to take things very quickly and get media attention because things were happening. So, you know, companies were trying to get funded and go public and, mm-hmm. you know, get eyeballs on, on different brands to get the investment community excited about it. So we had to figure out really quick how to how to shorten these campaigns. And so I just, you know, my team at the time, we Google had just come out and we figured out how to leverage and we didn't even know we were using SEO at the time to get to get our press releases more visibility, but we were and we were doing, you know, using the hashtag with the stock signs and like just really like now they're like no big deal but at the time that was kind of how I I, um, you know got started in it and I started to become super fascinated with how now public relations could be taken to a whole new level thanks to digital and and search and then I started just self you know like learning as much as I could and I was like hey wait a second public relations can actually be super influential on search results because public relations is basically content. And if you optimize the content, we can, you know, kind of, you know, 
game the system in a positive way to reach your audience and reach the media. And, you know, kind of that was the start of it all where I was just I had that aha moment. It's a really good topic for today because if you look at some of the latest information about Google Signals, they're telling us that prominence, which could be a mention that doesn't necessarily have a link, is a signal. The value of citations is decreasing, and all that is pointing to there's value in getting your brand mentioned online. What tips can you give SEOs to help them get their brand mentioned online? Well, I mean... Public relations is a pretty powerful tool to get your brand mentioned online. Like basically, you know, all publications are digital and most publications that were not digital only have digital versions. So just having a, you know, what I'm going to call, quote unquote, a traditional public relations um, editorial calendar and strategy and and creating um, some sort of a, a news making piece of content each month and pitching that to journalists and also putting it out on social and making sure that your news is optimized with your brand name and keeping that in mind. Um, that's going to leverage more visibility, not just in search, but also in the social channels. So looking at Facebook as a search engine, looking at LinkedIn as its own search engine, you know, Twitter, they all have different types of, of you know, search engines and different types of ways to, to optimize. It's not all size fits all, but you know, on Instagram, they, Instagram has its unique ways to to get found, and just making sure that you're educated from a very basic search level um, can help optimize whatever content you're writing, whether it's an article or whether it's a, a caption or even um, you know optimizing photos. Yeah, and then also you you mentioned a calendar, and so I would have to say that persistence and consistency, yeah, are, are vital. Right. Yeah, no question about it. That's the calendar is critical because I think the average business owner listening to the show or the the SEO listening to the show, it's something they do kind of last minute. Oh yeah, I got to do this. But if it's pre-planned and pre-thought out, it really gives you a leg up. Yeah. Now a lot of people listen to Lisa's answers right there and they said, oh, I got to write a press release. But really, a press release has changed in the last few years. What makes a good in quotes press release today versus what was a good press release pre-digital? Right. Well, I mean, and we're talking to, you know, the SEO world about press releases and, you know, the history of press releases within the SEO world has, you know, the impact has changed. And, you know, used to press releases were all of a sudden this like candy, you know, that SEOs were loving to use because it was like a way to really, um, you know, kind of game the system and, and it and turned out to be you know, in a way that it was so overused that we were penalized for doing press releases to a certain extent, right? So press releases today have to be newsworthy. I mean, you have to have a component of news behind it. You can't do a paid press release, for example, on a cha- uh, on a distribution for, like, for example, using PR Newswire or Businesswire or e-releases without having news behind it. So they're not going to let you do a paid press release unless there's some legitimate news. So you can go that route and do a paid, which I, I recommend doing a paid press release once a month just to keep your name out in Google News and keep you know keep whatever your keywords are, um, keep them searchable associated with your brand name. Um, so, so for example, I'm doing a press release, paid press release tomorrow announcing um, I just launched a passion project for of my own called Female Disruptors. So it's a news site um, featuring female entrepreneurs who are in a disruptive, um, doing disruptive, you know, positive things in, a, in their industry. And so, you know, if you're launching something, a press release is perfect. You want to make sure you get the word out, get it out to Google. Journalists are starting their search and ending their and confirming their their um, story topics using Google. So journalists are using Google for everything. And they're typing in whatever keywords they're they're writing. If they're writing a story on, you know, CBD or water soluble CBD, they're going to search water soluble CBD. So you want to make sure that you're strategically using your keywords wisely um, and effectively and topically in your news releases and articles. So you talked about creating a newsworthy story, which is you know, there's some great examples of this online. I was reading an article about a, a Swedish hotel that created a money back guarantee for their honeymoon suite. So for a year, if you got a divorce after booking the suite, get your money back. Uh, kind of clever, right? I mean, and you could see where that would be a juicy article and that would get picked up. So you've talked about creating a newsworthy event. How do you pitch something like that 
to a journalist and where do people go wrong in pitching their story? Well, I think let's just start with where they can go right. And I think one way um, to look at it, like it doesn't have to necessarily be news that's happening within your company or within your brand or a product launch or something super salesy. If you just monitor trends that are happening, um, you know, for example, just, you know, the SEO world or, you know, social media world, if Facebook makes an announcement about Facebook advertising and you're a Facebook advertising agency, then you can comment on that and you could be first to say, this is my point of view and this is why I think this is going to work or this is why I think this, you know, this sucks um, type of thing. So getting, you know, so journalists are always looking for not just the news from the brand, but also the point of view from a source. Um, And typically, you know, try to stay away from, you know, you don't want to get crazy dangerous, but you also don't want to say vanilla type of really, you know, what everybody's saying type of comments to get quoted related to some sort of a news story. So you want to say something that's a little bit out of the box or unique. And um, it has this effect, like once, once journalists, you know, reach out and use you as a source, then other journalists see that you've been used as a source. And then the same journalists that use you as a source, you know, if you were easy to work with, they're going to remember you. So it's also a relationship building process besides just, you know, optimizing with, you know, search and, and keywords in mind and keeping it newsworthy. It's also building relationships um, and, and using that to your advantage. And, and that's, that's really the advantage that people have when they engage with a, a, a company like yours. You've built those relationships. You have those all lined up, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I I also want to control the expectations, not just working with my agency, but working with any PR agency that you have to just be careful with the promises made of, of, you know, the relationships because relationships are important. But in today's day and age, there's so much changeover in um, on the journalist side and reporters that are jumping from one beat to another. Yeah. Um, they might not, it's hard to know everybody and have a relationship with, as, as, with like you used to be, let's just say 10 years ago when it was more of an offline world. Right. Mm-hmm. So the key is really being able to identify the right, um, publication or the right outlet or the right reporter that is going to match your story. And because that's, that's really the ticket. And if you could get their attention in, in a non spammy, very, um, you know, approachable type of way where they can easily digest what you're trying to pitch to them. Uh, that's really the ticket. So it's, it's almost like a, like a personality, you know, trait also to be able to really, um, kind of break through the clutter. Like, you know, you hate when salespeople call you, right. It's Mm -hmm. kind of PR people calling the media at the wrong time. And they're just having these long winded pitches. They're going to get hung up on. Yeah. You know, I think Lisa's given me an idea for a newsworthy event for our show. <laughs> World's longest continuous podcast. <laughs> the record is only 41 hours. Really? Yeah. I don't think we can You do guys that. can do it. <laughs> you can do it. Just hope we don't have a hurricane or something like that. Yeah, get a couple sound alikes. You know, we don't have to worry about lookalikes. We get a couple sound alikes. There we go. Yeah. So all we have to do is figure out who our celebrity sound alikes are, and then we can get this done. Yeah, I had a client once that he did a he did a radio show for um, a year, and then he went back and chopped up a bunch of episodes and made another year. <laughs> oh, and just repacked his in a year, yeah. yeah. Crazy. You know, Lisa, when we talk about journalists, we kind of have to broaden our definition now because journalists may be valuable and they might, but what about influencers, people that aren't technically journalists as we used to think of them in the non-digital world? How does how does an SEO find the influencers online that they can pitch their content to? I mean, that's becoming just like you said, it's like a whole category in and of itself. And it, it's a very similar but not exact process of pitching journalists because the influencers are they're not journalists and they typically, you know, have their own businesses or gigs that and the influencing part is just kind of almost like a side hustle not always but it just depends um so i mean i recommend this even for pr i mean there's a lot to be said for not not like having to 
go to all the bells and whistles of some sort of a platform or something. You really just have to do the research manually is really the best way um, and figure out, you know, make a, a short list and a long list of who the potential influencers might or could be. And then, um, you know, just start really just reaching out and connecting with them in a, you know, on whatever, however, you know, you see it's very similar to the media. So figure out like, is the journalist or the influencer heavy on Twitter? Then you want to send them a DM on Twitter. If are they on, um, you know, heavy on Instagram, then reach out through Instagram. And, um, you know, that's really the best way to, to be where they are and start the conversation where they are. Nice. Now, Lisa, everything happens now in the DM, (laughs) even with um, PR. Yeah, I, I don't want to switch gears too much, but I, I did have a question that a listener had asked me to ask you, and, and they're they're a content writer. They're they're inspiring to conspiring to be to the level that you've become, and and I wanted to know what advice you would have for people that that want to be. I mean, obviously you're in PR, so you have PR'd yourself, basically. I guess you know. <laughs> But what would be your advice? Right, you have to repeat like it. Sorry, you cut out. Okay. So I have a listener that wanted to know what they can do to get to the level that you've become or come to where, you know, as far as, you know, like I mentioned that, you know, 80% of the people mentioned you as, as an influencer and they want to become that influencer. What would be your advice for those people? Okay, sorry. For some reason, you're cutting out completely. What advice would you give to somebody who's an aspiring, top-notch PR person like yourself? Um, okay, so the advice that I would give to somebody that is um, you know, in PR today is to break out of the PR shell or boundaries because what I see happening is – and I just – I was teaching a class at University of Florida for the past four years as an adjunct, so I saw a lot of aspiring PR students graduate and and go out into the real world. And regardless if you're just graduating or whatever, wherever you are in your career, break out of the PR shell, go go to search marketing conferences, go to social media conferences, go to internet marketing conferences, go to vertical conferences, um, you know, Go to like just break out, and so you can learn from people that aren't necessarily like in your exact profession, and you're just broadening your horizons, and then bring that back into how you can leverage that with PR. Go to the podcast. There's going to be this the podcast conference here in um, Orlando in a couple weeks. Go to that. You know. You wrote a great uh, post not that long ago about great online tools for writers. What do you recommend as some of the best online tools for writers? There's so many, um, but one that is kind of just a tried and true is Grammarly. And so Grammarly has a free version and then they also have a paid version. And the paid version is just like, it's like magic. So it's basically like having, you know, a built-in editor that's going to catch all those very obvious, um, but not so obvious, maybe redundant words or um, grammar that is maybe not ex- not completely wrong, but could be up upgraded so i always recommend using um using something like uh, like grammarly i love that um there's also um another writing app called hemingway that is not as mainstream or maybe a lot of um writers or you know just in the search industry have not heard of but hemingway is is also um a great writing app because it gives a lot of suggestions and um, a lot of insights into the way that you're structuring, whether it's paragraphs or headlines. I also love CoSchedule has a headline analyst, analyzer. There's a couple others out there besides CoSchedule that really also help in just um, coming up with a little bit more creative um, headline ideas. That's a great one. You know, personal philosophy is you would rather win the battle of the headline than the war of the body copy, right? You want to win that headline. And I think that's a key totally. to be a great headline writer, and that's a really great tool for a lot of people. Now, you've written about a writing technique that I'm not familiar with called uh, Pomodoro. Am I pronouncing that right? Can you explain Pomodoro, that? yeah. And um, actually, you know, Miranda Miller is who gave me the heads up on that. And if you haven't had Miranda on as a guest, I'm going to give her a hat tip to um, bring on because she's amazing. 
Um, but yeah, so pom- the Pomodoro method was invented um, maybe like 25 years ago, and the guy that invented it was from Italy, and he had a uh, like a Pomodoro tomato timer that he used. And so basically, the the gist of it is that you give yourself an hour and a half to two hours, um, and you give yourself a goal that you have to meet, a writing goal in that amount of time. So it might be just like, okay, I'm going to write the outline and give yourself that, you know, that time break. And then you give yourself 15 minutes to take off and then you come back to it. And then the next part might be, I'm going to, you know, write the first two paragraphs. Um, and it, it really is super effective. I've actually brought it into my team and I had my team train on, on using that method. It also breaks, um, it helps eliminate distractions. If you're working in, um, in an office, which a lot of people work remote now, but every month I try to get my team together all in one place. And if we're all working together just so that we can have like, let's just say an hour and a half of like, okay, we're going to do the Pomodoro method and we're going to just work for an hour and a half and everybody's going to put their headsets on and not talk. And we all think of what we're going to get done in the next hour and a half as a goal. So it's like high intensity training for writing. It's like intervals yeah. <laughs> for writing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You definitely. Would... And you know, writing also um, you know, you can sit in front of a computer screen all day long and you know think you have writer's block and think you can't, you know, you just can't get anything out of your brain onto the, you know, onto the the page or whatever, but I mean, one thing that is proven and that is, you know, you need to find the time of the day that works best for you. And when you know you're going to have the least distractions and when you know that, you know, you're going to you're going to have like the most capable output. And typically this isn't for everybody, but typically that time is very early in the morning. um, And that's when you have your quote unquote flow. Um, I don't know if you've read anything by Stephen Kotler, but um, he's a he is in a partnership with one of my clients. So I was had the pleasure of interviewing him and his, he's the expert on, you know, getting into your flow mode and, and whether you're a writer or a musician or you're an athlete and, you know, you find that moment of flow, there are certain things physically and mentally you have to get your body to that point in order to get to that like optimal moment. And so, finding your flow, you know, for me, my flow is in the morning very early. And, you know, I make it a point to just get up an hour or two before all the hustle and bustle starts and I get so much done. And writing is one of those things. Yeah, I agree with you. And having worked with a a lot of writers and having been paid to write a lot myself, one of the counsels I give is let's chunkify this, right? People take the whole writing assignment and they get stymied by it. And so yeah. what I try to work with them on is let's break it down into parts. And one of the key parts of that that I'd love to get your comments on is write the outline first. And it just seems like today writing an outline is a lost art. People don't know how to write an outline. It's so true. For me, I write with um, – I can't write if it's an article or whatever I'm writing. I have to have the headline. Like I have to – even if it's a caption, I have to have what the first three words are going to be and that kind of frames it for me. And But when I'm writing an article, um, writing, you know, I just call it like the H2 or H3, the subhead, and then the, the – um, the smaller subheads, it makes it so much easier. And so I always tell my team, I'm like, just show me the outline first. I want to see what your headline, subheadline, and your H3s are going to be throughout the the article. And that, from that, I'll know, okay, this is this, you're on the right track, but like to sit and write 800 or a thousand words without an outline. And then even the person that's proofing it, you're looking like, where does my mind go? Like if you don't have um, subheads, it's almost like not just us. I mean, basically everybody is now trained to read in bullets, right? Or subheads and and small, tiny chunks. And you can't get that out of a tool. You have to just know manually that that's, that is the way that people want to read. And that's going to be the most effective, even Google, Google wants to be able to scan something and know, okay, this is topical. This is, uh, this is a, you know, going to, going to work with this website. And so it's, it's not just the, the, it's not just us, right? It's the search engines. Yeah. Robert, I want to get a SEO perspective on this topic from you. Do you, Robert, write the metadata for a page first and then write the body copy or do you write the body copy and then write the metadata? Opposite. I, I do the content first and then the metadata. So you take your keyword target and yeah. your related keywords and then you write the body copy. Right, because it relates to what's in the story and I want to, you know, I like to have it written out before I do that. It's just 
just the way I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've worked with people who do both ways uh, on that, but I was interested in, in your perspective on that. And uh, Lisa, to you, where do, where do you think people really need to find their inspiration? You talked a little bit about writer's block and talked about getting with the flow. What's your main solution when you're just stuck? Where, what do you do when you've got to find that next gear? What I find to be very effective, and I give this advice too to my team, is um, there's a digital way to do it and there's an offline way to do it. So I'll go to you know Starbucks or I'll go to Publix or I'll go somewhere and I'll just like scan the magazine stand or the newspapers. I'll buy the Wall Street Journal, the USA Today. It doesn't even matter like what I, it doesn't have to be rele- relevant to what I'm writing about. Just looking at headlines and looking at kind of the, the style of how they started and how they ended the conclusion um, gives me inspiration. And I can do the same thing. I'll go if I'm on a, you know just online, I'll go on BuzzFeed, I'll go on Mashable, um, I'll go on some of the like a little bit more creative types of um, news sites, let's call them. And it's just it's, it's super inspirational because you just then get ideas for, oh, this is what I'm writing and I can do a headline that's like similar to that or that concept or that style. Um, so, you know, that's just like super easy, accessible way to, to get inspiration is to also read, you know, for example, up until the summer, I probably have not read a fiction book in probably two or three years. I'm always reading, you know, just business books, self-help books, it seems like, um, marketing type of books. And so this summer I read a couple books. One of them was Big Little Lies. And that actually was super inspiring, just the style of the writer and her tone and like how she kind of like broke up and, and formatted the, 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 the pages and the, the type, everything that she did, like it was super creative and it gave me inspiration for um, the book that I actually just sent to my publisher called Digital Detox Secrets. I actually got some inspiration from a fiction book just on the layout and putting certain things in italics to give it a little bit of a, you know, a twist so that it's not in the same font and it's giving it an emphasis that when the reader's reading it, it's, um, you know, it's just giving it more dimension. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to rain on anybody's Netflix binging joy here, but Robert, you tell me if you agree with this. I've never or rarely met someone who's a really good writer that is not a vociferous reader. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Yeah, the more you read, the more you put into kind of into your own mental stew when that stuff sticks and when you need it, that that inspiration is there. Those words are there. The eloquence is there. It just comes from being a vociferous reader. I think most of the great writers I know are really heavy, heavy readers. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And I mean, I think there's just, you know, also something to be said for, you know, fiction. I know so many entrepreneur friends that all they read, like the same, you know, is me is I was just I got into this track of just reading like you know every new business book that came out every self-help book that came out or every health related book or it just wasn't fiction but just there's something to be said for kind of getting lost in translation of you know another world and how you know writers take you on this journey yeah now I say that but I am going home tonight to finish Orange is the New Black I should disclaim that (laughs) (laughs) all right well I think it's time to take a break real quick Um, when we get back we're going to do who influences the influencer and Lisa's where we're going to ask you, who influences you, basically? Perfect. Because you're the influencer. <laughs> right after these messages. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. <laughs> Bye-bye. Today's episode of Search Talk Live is sponsored by... Hey, Robert. You're here early for the show. Yeah, I got a ton of SEO work done this morning, and I got it done way ahead of schedule. Couldn't have done it without Ahrefs. Yeah, so much easier than using multiple programs and having data in a bunch of different places. Plus, being able to see what is holding a page back from ranking in Ahrefs is so much faster than picking through each part myself. Oh, yeah, I agree. We use Ahrefs because it's so easy to teach people at our agency how to use it. Their YouTube tutorials couldn't be better. It's one thing to have a tool. It's another thing to know your team is using it to its full capacity. I don't think there's an easier, more complete tool than Ahrefs. Hey, Robert, why don't you hit them up to be a sponsor of the show? I am way ahead of you. Hrefs, the official SEO tool of Search Talk Live. Try their new seven-day trial for only $7. Go to hrefs.com. That's hrefs.com. 
Your website analytics data probably feels like this. But it could feel like this. Making sense of all the website data available to you hasn't been easy until now. Smilelytics transforms your website analytics data into easy-to-understand memorable photographs. You pick your own photo theme. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier. And it's free at smilelytics.com. Want to know how your website is doing? Get the big picture with pictures. It's the easiest and most enjoyable way to understand your website data. No charts, no graphs, no cost. Sign up today. Smilelytics. S-M-Y-L-E-Lytics. Like analytics. Only happier at smilelytics.com. Get your questions in on Twitter. Type hashtag search talk live and your question. Now back to the show. All right, we're back. Now, uh, I am monitoring Twitter, so if you do have questions for Lisa, you can type hashtag search talk live, and we will answer or have Lisa answer the question live on the air. All right, Lisa. Now, we want to know who influences you. Wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, <laughs> so You can't say your husband. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are major influencers to me, um, but also, wow. Kat Howell is. Um, I've been following her for a couple years now, and um, she's she hosts. Um, she has a couple online courses, um, Facebook groups. She focuses on Facebook advertising, but she's also very um, inspiring and motivational entrepreneur. So I, I'm um, extremely influenced by her. Also, Larry Kim. Um, I collaborate with him on a bunch of projects, but even before that, I've been friends with him since you know he started WordStream and we were doing PubCon together speaking on on the pubcon circuit and he is just amazing he amazes me on his the entrepreneur side and then also just the content he puts out and you know how he's able to you know start these companies and also just put out amazing you know in my opinion amazing content amazing social media you know channel output that you know it's not just focused on one topic he he's inspiration on on all different levels nice so the first one was Cat Wow. How's that spelled, please? Cat C A T Howell H O W E L L. Okay. I'm rearranging our favorite guests of the year list uh, because she gave us as an answer. She's gone to the top of the list. Larry Kim is one I've been wanting to get on the show, and I, I I've reached out to him on Twitter, never get a response. So I don't know, <laughs> but I'd love to have him on. He would. Oh, I can help. Guest. I can oh. definitely help. Great. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move on. Hey, Lisa, you wrote a really interesting piece uh, not that long ago. And I, it was about a subject that I think frustrates a lot of people listening to the show. It was about trolls. And it was interesting to me because not that long ago, Google kind of said uh, vaguely, as they tend to do, that you ought to put your comments back on in your blog because they might look at comments as an indicator that if people are using the comments, they're engaged, and they might be using your website as a source to get their questions answered or a source to get information. So engagement and comments might have been a good thing to them. But we all know what happens when you turn comments on a blog. You get those people, right, air quotes, those people. You get those trolls. And you wrote an article on how to handle or just, that or just people trying to build links <laughs> or just people trying to build links but how do you handle yeah. the trolls um, the people you know, who take advantage of that it's it being in the public relations world i mean you know that's part of you know, almost like you know sort of crisis management when trolls attack and a troll could be even somebody that is trolling on yelp or or um you know google reviews and just going to all the review sites or it also, um, you know, the different types of trolls that happen under the comments and blogs and also the comments on, you know, Facebook ads and, and Facebook posts and, and Instagram. And, you know, you don't have to be a celebrity to be, you know, really taken down by trolls if you let them. So yeah, the, the article that I wrote is just basically categorizing all the different types of trolls from, you know, the one that's the, you know, perverted, you know, 
sex, you know, type of troll that is just talking like ridiculous talk and then yeah. ones that are just trying to, you know, just take you down for whatever reason. And, and they're, you know, you, you have to, you can't get taken down with them is basically the bottom line. And you have to be able to, you know, just manage your, your psyche with them. Confession time, Robert. Have you ever been a troll? No. I never have either. I just don't have the time in my life to devote to that. <laughs> yeah, it's stressful. I mean, I, I have not – I've been lucky, lucky enough to not be on, like, the front line of of it, but I've had clients that have been, and, you know, it, it's really – it could be very, very, very um, – very frustrating, especially if you're spending money on ads and the trolls are happening on your ads that you're paying for. Yeah, I think in this one time I do sympathize with celebrities and just casually breezing oh, yeah. through some Twitter feeds and, and Instagram and what people say. I don't know that I want to wake up to that every morning. Yeah, that was no. Yeah. yeah. So, Lisa, yeah. I want to touch on a little bit um, about knowing your audience. I mean, and when I say that, I mean you know, not every company is going to want to be on every social media outlet i mean you got to know your audience and where they are can you touch on that a little bit oh sure definitely and you know it's funny because i work with all different size brands and companies and i would say the biggest um hole in a marketing program or pr program is and you know there's just not enough time spent on building out your personas and really understanding that and putting the even the persona is also the media and what is your what does the journalist look like that you're targeting and what is your the other audience personas who are they what are what are their pain points and um i the biggest mistake that i see is content that is mostly focused on the sales and marketing aspects of a brand and yeah. not focusing on the pain points of their audience and, um, you know, just really getting to, to that, hitting home with that first and almost like more lifestyle type content versus sales and marketing content, which is, you know, more top of the funnel type of content. But if you're today, I mean, it's all about really delighting your audience and your audience doesn't care necessarily about your product or service. They just care about, do you, do they feel like you care? Yeah. Yeah, Tommy Griffith was on the show from ClickMinded uh, two weeks ago when he taught us a new word, which he made sound like everybody's been using for years, uh, was uh, customer avatar, which has somehow replaced persona in the vocabulary today. But we did talk quite a bit about developing that uh, customer avatar and how much time and discipline he spends on it. And it was a really interesting conversation with him about that. It's certainly something that I think most companies kind of round the corners on, talking about who their audience is in kind of vague terms. But you can't really write helpful content unless you explicitly know who your customer avatar is. Would you agree? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, you need to have like the picture, the avatar right in front of you, you know, and just be able to almost like visualize it without just in your sleep, you know, you yeah. just, and, and everybody that's working on your team needs to be able to completely identify with that avatar a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think I get, I, where I was trying to go was, you know, let's say you have a customer that sells uh, the scooters for disabled people. Well, they're not going to advertise on Instagram, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got to find the right platform where know, your audience is going yeah, to You know, Instagram skews younger adults. Um, then, you know, you would, you know, your seniors, so to speak. Yeah. And I, I think that it's, you know, so you ha you definitely have to, I just wrote an article for search engine journal about, um, it was actually part of the ebook. So it was one chapter on emerging trends in social media. And one of the, 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 the trends is that multi-networking is out. So, you know, you yeah. need to pick your network that your audience is on, that your avatar is on and, that's that's what your focus is going to be not to say that you can't be on you know have some secondary ones but you you can't just try to be one size fits all and it, it's impossible it's almost you know like just to compare it to the analogy of public relations you know you you can't be putting your your news out to the as a generalist you know right, right. you have to niche you know find your niche and and really get super focused and that's those are the writers that are going to pick you up because they want to serve their their audience they want to serve their you know 
they want they want their life is going to be made simple if they feel like you can help them write and relate to who their audience is. You know, speaking of pain points, I think a pain point for our audience is reviews. I mean, more and more time per week is taken up with the average business struggling with what to do with reviews, how to handle reviews, the good ones and the bad ones. Right. Lisa, what counsel do you have for people in this in today's era where reviews are so influential? How does a business handle reviews? There has to be a plan for sure. There has to be a proactive outreach plan for reviews. It's it's and it's no longer just, oh, it's the hair salon, it's the the plastic surgeon, it's the restaurant, it's, you know, it's the the luxury builder. My husband is a luxury builder. It's you know, the, the service B2B companies, you know, we're, we're starting to be more focused on, on reviews and, and being proactive because there's crazies out there, number one. So you need to, and this was, this isn't new and new advice, but it's become higher up as a, on a um, like a priority across the board. Mm-hmm. So the advice, you know, for the past X amount of years is you want to you want to make sure that you're being proactive so that you can claim your page one search results so that if you get, you know, bad reviews on whatever sites, that's not going to like, you're going to be kind of like insulated with some good reviews. So that's still the case, but take that across like now every channel. So you need to have a proactive type of campaign to, um, to try to gain as much pro as much positive reviews as possible and yeah. have them populated so that you know there's going to come a time and you know Yelp even says this that it's not normal to expect 100% five star reviews if let's just say it's Yelp mm-hmm. you know somebody is going to look and say okay that that that's kind of gamified so people expect to see some bad reviews so I wouldn't like let a couple of bad reviews get you down. I mean, that's just going to be good customer service advice and actually an opportunity to turn somebody into a brand advocate if you handle it properly. So the bad reviews could turn into, you know, into a good thing if you if you are paying attention and monitoring and making sure that you have um, a plan in place so that you're responding in a very timely manner. People at least want to be heard. They want to be acknowledged. And then, you know, take the opportunity to possibly turn a negative review into a positive review, depending on the situation. That's not going to work every time for sure. Um, and there's platforms out there that um, that help manage all of the reviews um, in one in one place. So yeah. I, I work with um, a platform called BirdEye and you're able to um, set up like in a dashboard like format where you're getting your Google reviews, your Facebook re- recommendations, your um Yelp reviews and let's just say it's TripAdvisor. I think they integrate with something like 300 different review sites, but whatever works for the brand. And it just makes it easier to manage all reviews in one place, be able to respond, be able to pass them off to somebody else if somebody else needs to to chime in. And also develop what I was saying earlier, the proactive outreach campaigns so that you can, um, in, a, in a very... Um, not cheesy way solicit good reviews to people at the right time so if you know right you have a, a you know let's just say a, a list of emails of people that had you know had good experiences that month you can send an outreach email to them as a campaign and and try to get some positive feedback to build up the, the positive reviews do you support templated responses to bad reviews pre-written templates template responses yes for bad reviews publicly yes <laughs> N- no <laughs> i mean i don't i i think that a template response to a negative review is gonna um bj's just be like a recipe for disaster potentially like yeah. you know not every time but i think having a very personalized um response and making sure that, you know, what you're saying publicly is letting, it's not so much for the person that wrote the negative review, it's more for the people that are reading the negative review and then reading how you responded to it. What's your thought on that, Robert? I would say it needs to be personalized. I don't believe in templated. Now, I do believe in the in a workflow that says, you know, almost like if it was like a Salesforce or something like that, where it would automate an email after you're completed the service with them saying, Hey, 
how did we do for the solicitation? Yeah, for the solicitation. Yeah. But as far as if they come back with a complaint or something, I, I would. That would be hands-on. You know, I do encourage <laughs> templates, and I'll tell you why. Is because I think a lot of the folks that are handling negative reviews are business owners, people that aren't really skilled in writing. And if you've ever watched uh, Jimmy Fallon's YouTube videos about where he reenacts Yelp reviews where business owners get into a debate with reviewers online, which is, you know, A, hilarious, and B, sad at the same time, I think a lot of these people take their business so personally, they don't know how to divorce themselves emotionally and just put a response out there that says, hey, I'm so sorry, let's take this conversation offline, we're going to do whatever it takes to satisfy you. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm right. sorry, I misunderstood what, where you're going with that, for sure. There, But I'm just saying it... it that makes sense. Uh, yeah. To, to customize it somewhat so that it's not obviously just a, a templated like automated response where they know it's a bot something that um at least shows an acknowledgement and then if you can go back and circle back and personalize and and for sure take it offline but yeah i mean you you small businesses need guidance and direction so to have you know whether it's a template that was like a custom-made template for your specific industry or restaurant or or B two B business, then that's great. But just something to make it so it doesn't sound too bodish. Yeah, because you're walking into a fire, so you need as much flame retardant gear on as you possibly yeah. can. It's a really uh, interesting issue for me because today I'm one of my clients got his first negative review, devastating crushed <laughs> and he wanted to go on he's like how do i log on my gmb and and i'm gonna yeah. write these and tell them that i think it's not fair and you know got it appreciate the fact that you're upset which is awesome yeah but you also have to put on another hat you have to put on that customer service exactly the customer's always right you got to depersonalize yeah. it and yeah, exactly. yeah it's it's a very difficult thing to do don't attack the yeah. <laughs> well, it's almost like, um, you know, and I don't know if you guys do anything with meditation or yoga, but they teach that you have to be the observer and you can't. And so when you're get in that situation, you you can't be so personally impacted by it. You have to kind of be your own outside consultant, if that's possible. Yeah. And look in instead of like reacting emotionally. Yeah. Sometimes I meditate during the show, which makes for bad shows. <laughs> Like Matt, Matt. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that reviews, though, in, in 2019 and 2020, if you think about what are the critical business skills needed to survive, succeed in 2019, 2020, I think being able to handle online reviews is one of those critical skills now. They're becoming more and more influential. Oh, it's it's definitely in the past year or two has become just it's it's unbelievably important. And, you know, even myself. You know, I, I'm looking at reviews more than I ever have when I'm deciding on, you know, anything from buying something on Amazon, but also going to a restaurant, also buying something that typically I would never even have looked at reviews. If there's reviews available, I will look. Yeah. And it, it definitely influences my decision. I mean, another place, too, that, you know, if you're on social, let's say you're on Twitter or Facebook and you have you have to have somebody watching that. I mean. To me, a bot is ridiculous. I've had run into some bots on Twitter and or not Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you know where they have the instant message yeah. chat. Oh, unbelievable, annoying. <laughs> yeah, but this would be an awkward time to ask people to leave a good review in the comments under where <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah. they're getting the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, just being there to answer those questions if they have questions. It is. Or, uh, you've well, got. the consumers today want answers now. Yes. Right. And it may be as simple as they want to know, do you sell this particular product? Do you do this particular service before they move on to that next level of engagement? Right. And I think digital marketing is as complicated as he who gets the searcher what they want the fastest wins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, today, you know, there's positions that are, you know, the social media engagement management manager, you know, just managing engagement and just not even, you know, there, there's so many different positions that didn't even exist two or three years ago as a result of, um, you know, digital and social. Yeah. And to me, I think they're underappreciated. Yeah. Yeah. There's they're, dollars and cents there. They don't realize in those interactions. Yeah. There's dollars and cents. There's sales in those interactions. Yep. Hey, Lisa, we're getting ready to go toward the end, but I do want to get um, your take on hashtags. You know, a lot of people to me either overdo the hashtag thing or they underdo the hashtag thing. Like I, See people do a post and they've got 25 hashtags on it trying to get somebody's attention. Give us your take on how do you research the right, most valuable hashtags to use? 
Well, it depends on which platform you're talking about, but I'm, I always am going to circle back to, you know, manually looking at, for example, if you're trying to do some sort of an influencer campaign, you know, or looking at what your competitors are doing or looking at what the influencer are using, that's one way to do it. I would just go platform by platform because every each platform is different. So what's going to work on Instagram won't necessarily work on on Twitter and definitely the number of hashtags aren't going to be the same, but uh, I'm a fan of hashtags in general because it's a way to um, get more exposure and get reach when it's done, when it's done right. And when it's done strategically. So I, I don't get not using hashtags. I, because it's basically like leaving money on the table. You know, you, you're, you, I, I come from the organic brain um, PR. I, I equate to organic search. So I'm always looking at ways to leverage and and get more reach and more exposure organically through the different media channels without having to go to paid. But, you know, when you, if you can do well organically and, and produce and publish content that works organically, then you're going to do better and paid. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Hashtag good advice. Hashtag words from expert. (laughs) All right, I think it's time for Believe It or Leave It. Believe It or Leave It, one of the most popular parts of Search Talk Live, Lisa. We're going to give you three statements that we found on the Internet. Yes, they are actually there. And we're going to ask you to tell our audience whether they should believe it or whether they should leave it. Are you ready? Ready. All right, here comes number one. A good press release should be at least 800 words. Believe it or leave it. Leave it. Why? Well, there's a reason why um, most of the distribution services are 400 words or 500 words. It's because you, um, first of all, journalists don't have time to really read that much in depth. um, And you need to use brevity to your advantage and just get your point across. And you can always link to the longer form content. I always recommend linking to longer form content on your website from a press release. Um, So I like the press release to be the shorter version and the longer form content to be hosted on your website or blog for the the full version. Nice. I like that. So that goes from the other thing I was going to ask her about, should you post it off off the site or on? (laughs) Yeah, both. All right. So question number two, posting all the press releases you write on your website bring a lot of SEO value. Mm, it's kind of a trick question. <laughs> Tell us so about it. I always recommend when you do a press release to um, to post the longer version on the website and the shorter version to a paid paid press release if that is going to um, work within your budget. So, um, so, but I don't recommend doing a press release every day or just doing a press release for SEO. So to clarify that, is that a snippet of what you wrote on the website or is it separate, totally different? than the rest of it that's on your site? The press release version? Yes. So I'd like to change it up. So I have, you know, just a little slightly different headline, a slightly different intro, but the news is basically the same. Okay. So Maybe a different image so that it doesn't look the exact same. It yeah. just gives it a different dimension. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is you're not copying the first two paragraphs no. or whatever. Okay. <laughs> so an old school no, technique. Do different versions, do different versions for, you know, for social and use emojis and, you know, as much as possible, just try to hashtags. Yeah. Just try to completely, um, you know, reinvent the story in different ways visually and also, you know, just using creative formatting and words. See an old school technique that you still see up here somewhere is is, in some websites is under their navigation where they've got the about us section and then they've got a blog and then they've got a separate piece of navigation that says press releases and they just in their WordPress site, they just copy and paste every press release they've ever sent out in that section still happens that does not have the value that it used to have in the day right no no that that you know i would be interested to see what the google analytics looks like on you know if they get any type of visits to that even you know yeah, you yeah a few people go out of their way and go man i gotta read some press releases today early early uh, early seo days you used to pop a press release pop a press release out and your site would rank and then yeah <laughs> yeah like, like 24 hours yeah All right, Lisa, believe it or leave it, number three, following more industry-related people with your company Twitter profile will bring SEO value. 
Um, I'm going to leave it. Tell us why. I, I think that you need to, you know, there needs to be, like I said, like relationship building and conversations and things like that. It's not just about following. Yeah. And that's straight from somebody's blog post, by the way. And, you know, top, I think it was like 12 ways uh, social media can help your SEO. And that was uh, one piece of advice. And I thought, how does following people bring any organic ranking value, even if they're experts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it could be some you know, maybe 10, marketing type of thing. 10 years ago, you know, people were paying more attention to every follower they got, maybe. But now it's, you know, just so much has changed that I don't think that that, I mean, maybe there's a part two to that, that whoever wrote it didn't put the the part two secret sauce on, that goes on top of it, you know? Yeah, because the act of following itself, yeah, no. nothing. Now, if you're pushing out content after you've attracted those followers, right. okay, now we've got yeah. a technique there. But just the act of following them, yeah. no, no, no value. No. Yeah. Great stuff. I mean, I would say, you know, I even get nervous if, like, my clients are following too many people, you know, versus how many followers they have. You know, it's like you want to have this balancing act, and you don't want to seem like the crazy follower, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to look like a troll. Yeah. <laughs> right. You want to be wanted. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're getting down to the end of the show, which means it's time for the Search Talk Live Tattoo. So, Lisa, your best, most succinct piece of advice that you want to leave our listeners with that is tattooable. And I want to remind you that Robert does get all of these as tattoos, so keep in mind our ink budget here. It's not as big as it used to be. So what's your best, most succinct piece of advice you can give to our listeners? My best advice is if you are handed it, handle it. I like that. That's kind of deep. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, I mean, if something falls on your lap, good or bad, you know, you yeah. got to handle it. Yeah. The buck stops here kind of saying? Yeah. If it Say it one more time. If you're handed it, handle it. If you're handed it, handle it. I see it. a t-shirt there. Yeah. That's a tattoo. <laughs> that's a t-shirt. That's a brand. That's if right. you're handed it, handle it. You heard it here first, guys. I like it. I like it. Yeah. You can't have a business without having that mentality. So true. Now, Lisa, uh, for the listeners, please tell us about your new book and when it's coming out and where they can pick it up at. Okay, cool. Um, so my next book coming out in September is called Digital Detox Secrets. I've been working on it for about two years. I've been talking about it for about three or four years. And it's basically about how to find balance in our digital world from a work-life standpoint. So it covers social work life and personal life nice and then you have to get that in the first book you put out tell us some where they can get that my first book that's out right now is called social pr secrets and that you can get on amazon it's in its fourth edition and the foreword is by guy kawasaki and the introduction is by sarah evans guy kawasaki wow nice that's another person i'd like to have on this show yeah <laughs> yeah i was blown away like when i was watching what was it probably five years ago but the network when that came out yeah and guy kawasaki actually wrote that that uh, about uh no it wasn't social network it was uh steve oh the jobs. steve jobs steve yeah jobs. yeah yeah that was crazy um, he's like i was like i know that guy <laughs> i know right <laughs> yeah he's he's doing a lot of surfing these days <laughs> yeah i i talked to him once and something happened i don't know he never got on the show but i'll probably reach out to him again um anyway thank you so much lisa for being on the show if someone wants to reach you or go to your website check out your company work where can they go yeah so i have a social pr agency and it's called the buyer group and you can reach out to me at thebuyergroup.com or you can find me on twitter at lisa buyer instagram at lisa buyer or connect with me on linkedin do you own lisa buyer.com i do nice <laughs> nice to talk to a fellow Central, Central Floridian who's sharing our love of the humidity here. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, we'll have to meet for happy hour or something and celebration Absolutely. or Disney World or somewhere. Absolutely. <laughs> We'd love that. All right. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure having you on. And I hope everybody tweet this out to their friends and family and, and you know, not their family, but people. <laughs> use the right hashtags. <laughs> yes. Hashtag social PR. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone. Guys. 
All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. I want to thank you. I think this is one of our, one of our greatest shows we've had. Um, Lisa on because she's always mentioned, like I said, and uh, uh, it's been great. Bye bye, everyone. Bye bye. Bye, everybody. Search Talk Live is sponsored by the Robert Palmer family of companies. If you have questions for Search Talk Live or you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor of the show, email Robert at searchtalklive.com. That's searchtalklive.com.